Yeah, it was a fun first experiment with the uh, iRig. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd called my wife on it before, like three or four weeks ago. Um, <laughs> and it was it was entertaining because she didn't know that I was, she didn't know what I was testing. So I called her like two or three times. I didn't quite have it set up right yet. And she's like, hello? I can't hear anything, Paul. Did you butt dial me? What's going on? And <laughs> then eventually I made it work. So I knew it was possible. I just didn't have a great way of testing it before we got going this morning or this this evening. Soon to be morning. <laughs> Chris. Oh, hey, Derek came back. There you are. Yeah. Hi. That was crazy. Yeah, that was weird. We we lost uh we hung up on the phone and lost internet connectivity. <laughs> the entire internet went down. We broke the interwebs. Oh yeah, it's breaking uh on my computer too. Oh. Yeah. Let's see if Nicecast says it's on air again. So it must have been on my end. It must have been my internet connection. Yeah, I was looking at the IRC chat room and I did not notice. Oh, there's two Pauls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I noticed I hadn't left. I was like, let me try open a web page. But uh, you came back before I had a chance to do that. Yeah, I am thinking I might have to reset my time capsule or something because uh, something similar happened earlier um, today where uh, Evie was watching something on Netflix and all of a sudden it just died, which is not unusual with um, A, with Netflix, but also B, with our uh, Apple TVs that all of a sudden something will be like, sorry, we're having trouble playing this particular title back, try something else, and you try something else and it's fine. Well, in this case, um, the network connection had just dropped, and it was like the time capsule went away because all of the devices around me no longer had Wi-Fi, and then all of a sudden they were back again, which is a little frustrating because that time capsule is not particularly old. Um, It's not the newest model, but it's not old. That's interesting because a recent uh, podcast I was listening to, the tech podcast Supercharged that I enjoy, um, they were talking about routers like two or three episodes ago. And it's one of those things where uh, I think one of the guests were like, it's just one of those sort of appliances that you hook up and then you just forget about. And in actuality, it's a computer and it's typically a computer that's four or five years old, like the chip on it. Yep. And it's running all the time. It never has a time to cool off or anything like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so people are like, yep, that's um, something that you really need to be attentive about. And that's um, this, this last month uh, I, Hope to get paid soon from my current gig and I'm probably going to upgrade because I've shared the story here before, but I'm using the old school uh, Linksys as sort of, uh, um, I have DDWRT on it, mm-hmm. an open yep. firmware, and it's, it's connected to my um, Apple Airport Extreme which is serving out the internet. And then I have another old Buffalo router in the living room serving internet for, uh, from the VPN to the uh, PlayStation. And both of those routers aside from the airport extreme are so old that I think (laughs) I have a bottleneck somewhere. And so I have similar, um, experiences like you, like my wife's phone. I was just complaining about it on the internet, but my wife's Google phone like syncs her photos to Google. And mm. when her phone starts syncing, like you might as well just like do something else because you're not going to use the internet. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, one phone syncing should not do this to the internet. So I think like our router has a little bit of a a bottleneck somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that very well could be. Um, but yeah, uh, so that was a fun little net split. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great I'm sure that it'll it, be hilarious to listen to when I put out the uh, the uh, quick mix recording and I don't cut that out. Yeah. Me yeah. talking to 
Chris, are you there? What's happening? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I've lost my other half. Yeah. Emotional outcry. Yep. (laughs) So, uh, one of the things that I thought I could uh, talk about with you while um, there were no guests around, (laughs) um, because no one's going to hear this terrible tale I'm about to... No. Uh, one of the things I thought was kind of interesting and I would be eager to share with a guest if they were so interested, but uh, I happened to watch something the other day um, called An Adventure in Time and Space. Okay. And this is a BBC original movie about the history of the Doctor Who show. Ah. And my wife was like, what? You watched this without me? And then I told her it was like a fictional movie. And she was like, oh. but so it is it's a fictionalization of like the very first like season of doctor who and then like sort of how it grew after that and uh so i'm assuming since it was the bbc they probably took um some detail to make uh, it um on par with what really happened but also it's a fictionalized tale so i'm sure there were also some fictionalizations in there but yep. uh, if it was true, it's really cool. I mean, the producer of the show was a woman, and so that was not a woman's job back then. So she had some hurdles to climb. And um, the person who was sort of in charge of, like, uh, I think he was, oh, he was the director. Um, he was um, an Indian. And so that was kind of unheard then. So mm. the the show has, besides being like so popular, has some really cool history behind it. And uh, so I would definitely recommend it if you find it somewhere. Like it was certainly entertaining and a great little tale. The person who plays um, the first Doctor um, is the guy who plays. Oh, why can't I think of his name? The caretaker in Harry Potter with the cat. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. So, um... I don't know the character's name off the top of my head either. Yeah, Mr. Something. I feel (laughs) awful. Um, Mr. Cat Guy. Mr. Cat Guy. (laughs) Uh, So, but, uh, yeah, once I told my wife that, she was like, but with the long hair? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, I guess I can see it. So he does look an awful lot like him. Um, But so, here I did, I watched this... uh, this movie and I found it entertaining. I tell the wife about it and I just happened to IMDB it. And, uh, and I see a picture of the writer and my brain is like, well, I thought I recognized his name, but let me, I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, I, I know this guy. Why do I know him? His hair's, (laughs) why is his hair like a different color? Maybe that's what it is. So I click on his IMDB profile Okay, so this movie was written by Mycroft from the Sherlock series. Oh, really? Yeah, like he's a huge Doctor Who fan and apparently a writer. So he wrote this movie. (laughs) And I was like, what the heck? Like, there's a weird trivia question forming right there. Yeah, yeah. He, um, I was watching, uh, we were getting through all of uh sherlock which there isn't a whole ton of it so it doesn't take very long but we were also watching like the uh uh the specials about the making of of the various um episodes of sherlock and one of them had uh stephen moffat who is the head writer for both sherlock and the current run of doctor who but it also had that same guy um sitting next to him and t- and discussing the particular episode of Sherlock and you could tell that the two of them seemed like they had like a longer term relationship as well like they were friends before this and um and they probably had they have they must have a shared interest obviously in Doctor Who because Stephen Moffat has been a Doctor Who fan uh forever did you ever see the um I think it's on YouTube somewhere it's like a Doctor Who spoof um, that has Rowan Atkinson in it as Doctor Who. I've heard about this, but I'm not sure that I've actually watched it. It's uh, it's pretty funny. It's called uh, The Curse of the Fatal Death, which uh, is a great title for a Doctor Who parody, um, given that a lot of the... Uh, 
a lot of the episodes of the older series, the the pre two thousand series of series of Doctor <laughs> Who, um, were all called uh, the Curse of Something or the Something Something Death. Um, so the curse of the fatal death is the perfect the perfect title for it. But it ba- it basically ends spoiler alert with uh, the doctor dying and then regenerating several times in a row. Um, but for the majority of the for the majority of the uh, the the little mini episode, it's uh, Rowan Atkinson and uh, he does a very good job as a not real Doctor Who. It's it's funny. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that that was Stephen Moffat's first Doctor Who episode that he wrote, I think, <laughs> even though it was not actually Doctor Who, and it was before the before the new series uh, got started again. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I have seen that, and so much media in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I just realized that the uh, costume for uh, the new Flash looks. Um, like it's the same shade of color and everything as um, the Daredevil. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They just <laughs> dusted it off, got it out of storage, painted a lightning bolt on it. Yeah, shrunk it down. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but when you mentioned um, Rowan Atkinson, I recently listened to uh, the Michael Sheen episode of The Nerdist, and he is. Um, He's been in a lot of movies, uh, like the Frost Nixon movie, and um, if you, people might remember him from Thirty Rock, he was the uh, "We Should Just Settle for Each Other" guy from The Dentist with uh, Liz Lemon. Um, his name was <laughs> Leslie, um, but he he's a huge Doctor Who fan. He mentions on the show, and he he said that he. He knew people that worked on the show, I think, but he said he's he's always been a dream of his. Like he never, he he says he was in the running actually to be um, one of the Doctor Who's, but uh, or on a short list he had thought he heard. But um, he said he would just love for like the Doctor to regenerate and go through the process, and like he would just love to be the Doctor for like two minutes. And then, like, something goes horribly wrong or, you know, maybe he just says, no, this this won't work at all. And then, like, regenerates, regenerates into someone again, else. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's an excellent, like, plot for the show. Like, I think, you know, what in the Matt Smith show, it's like he, he went through some sort of weird regeneration process, but then he stopped it. But, uh, but yeah, that would be an interesting plot twist as if he quickly changed to someone and then disappeared. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It would be um, the George Lazenby of the Doctors. Yeah, there's a lot of – so this is where my total nerdery um, of Doctor Who knowledge starts to show up. But uh, there is an episode of the the old series. Uh, It was when uh, Tom Baker was playing the Doctor, um, who's one of the more popular of the old series Doctors. And uh, – Tom Baker? Tom – yeah, yeah, um, long scarf guy, Tom Baker. <laughs> uh, he uh, he had a companion for a time called, uh, and her name was Romana. Her actual name was much longer than that, and I don't actually know the whole thing off the top of my head, but uh, Rom- Romana for short. And she was also a time lord, um, and so there was an episode where um, she dies and regenerates. And they spend like the first ten ish minutes of the episode where she has regenerated with her like going off into a different room and then coming like in the TARDIS, going into a different room and coming back and having a completely different body. And in some cases being like totally alien, not even human. Just leaving, coming back and, you know, Tom Baker being, oh, I don't think that's going to work, Romana. And she walks away again and he comes <laughs> and she comes back again. And eventually she actually lands on, and this is kind of ties it into Capaldi, actually. Um, but she comes back one more time and she has picked, picked, a, picked a body finally that she's decided that she's going to stick with. And it's an actress who's already been on the show as some other character. Um, 
And so that's and so that you know that ties it into Peter Capaldi because he's been on not only Doctor Who but he was also on Torchwood as two different characters. So he keeps like this character keeps showing up in the, in the this face keeps showing up in the Doctor Who universe with his independently crossed eyebrows. Um, but it's something that's. <laughs> A, a precedent that's already been set is that, oh, yeah, these people, even though they're completely different people, somehow can come back in this universe or or, or get reused, repurposed, I guess, in this universe. Um, but it, it, at the same time, uh, uh, there was some second second thing that I was going to draw there, but that I thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like how during your entire Doctor Who geek out, you tried to play it down a few times. Like, oh, I don't remember her whole name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, a Nagorophophax in there somewhere or something like that. We, <laughs> we Originally, her character was Princess Astra. <laughs> we should have learned, or we did just learn from uh, David... Uh, which makes our show very re- unique, perhaps, that we just spent uh, a while talking to someone who makes something and now uh, we've just geeked out into Doctor Who. <laughs> yes. I was thinking, actually, even before we talked to David in that uh, previous uh, bit of show, I was thinking the other day, like, oh, wow, uh, Montreal sauce is really like um, George Costanza's dream. It's a podcast about nothing. <laughs> it's a podcast about nothing. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Let's hope we never do that. That could be film from, but I don't even want to do that. A podcast about nothing, which yeah. is a movie uh, I've seen. And it's it was okay, but it wasn't a great movie. Nothing. <laughs> they even go so far as the O in the word nothing in the title is like zero. Oh. So, yeah. Nice. It stars... Um, I can't remember his name which is a theme if you've listened to our shows before um (laughs) but it stars the look for the show uh, notes montrealsauce.com the the scientist guy from stargate atlantis um i think that was like his big uh movie um okay launched his career yeah basically but uh yeah so, but it's a movie about nothing where these two guys live like in this apartment and weird things happen and like things start missing. Like and next thing you know, they like walk out of the house and they're just in white space, which is really easy to film. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, I think it's very like uh, f- philosophical and existential and Hey, like, do you exist if no one's thinking about you? Something like to that. But um, I wasn't that impressed with it, I remember. I had lots of hope for it, but Hmm. yeah. So, yeah. I'm trying to think of uh, the one that, the movie that we just watched. Uh, Was that? Mr. Nothing, maybe? Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody, yeah. I just watched that, and I don't know what you're about to say, but I actually really love that movie. Yeah, i I have to rewatch it because Tina started it, um, and I kind of came in about halfway through, so I hadn't seen. There's kind of a conceit at the beginning that sort of frames what's going on a little bit, and but yet at the same time, at least I gathered from Tina's reaction to it that she didn't really know what was going on. It's sort of like. Um, the way it's cut together is sort of along the lines of memento where you kind of don't figure out until you get towards the end, um, what's really happening. Um, but I, I did love how it closed together and how it wraps up. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my opinion on it was, I think one of the reasons that I really loved it was that the concept of the film is that this person is. Um, he's not like a time traveler like Doctor Who or Marty McFly, but he, he's sort of like he can jump from different points of time in his own body, sort of like Quantum Leap. Um, but it's his own lifetime that he's jumping through. And for whatever reason, he's lived like, what was it, like 200 years or something like that? Or maybe it was only 180 years or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But But I just... 
this is the concept that you somehow have to get used to that he can be like talking to his wife and then all of a sudden back in high school meeting her yeah. and yet it was very fluid like at i like you said um you thought you that they didn't really show it much of it to the end but i think i think they did a pretty good job of that um it just i like i what was interesting too is that he didn't want to make decisions in his life. So there's three girls that he's interested in when he's younger. Yeah. And so then the movie takes you through like those three lives that he lived or didn't live. And I just thought like as complex as all of that was, like somehow the filmmakers pull it off. And so I really liked it. Yeah. I kind of put it together as, um, there is that there is that component of it of like he he hits some key part of his life and he can't make a decision about that thing and for whatever reason his life sort of splits off into these three or four different lives that he could live based on the decisions that he's making and then it sort of comes back together at the end of no matter what he's pretty much going to die at the same point in time and he sort of dies um spoiler alert he dies um at the end of the dies at the end of the movie um at the same time that the universe dies or at least that was kind of how i took the way that they cut that together and my assumption of that because i have to explain how that all works in my head for whatever reason um is that because he dies at the same time as the universe he has some kind of more intricate connection with the universe that has enabled him to sort of leave live or at least experience all four of these different lives and then sort of collapse it into the one life that he really truly wanted and he 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 dies just as he dies he realizes what he's going to do and he knows what it is and he knows which thing he wanted to pick so he lived like yeah a hundred a hundred years not knowing what his decision was really going to be and then and then it comes to him in his last moment and and then i love how it it why he comes back to life as it winds backwards and and he's laughing all through the whole thing because he knows he knows how it worked right and i mean it's sort of like his like micro universe too like when he's like I kind of saw it, my perspective was like, you know, at the end when he dies and it seems like the universe is dying around him, it's because like this, we're sort of like living out in his like imagination. And so that's the universe that's dying is like, yeah. he's like you yeah. said, he's made the decision of how he wants his life to be. So now this sort of like made up world doesn't need to exist anymore. Right. And so I... I really enjoyed that, and then the soundtrack was like pretty amazing. It was kind of like a Forrest Gump like kind of a soundtrack where you're just like, "Oh yeah, this song." Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, that's right. There's that part at the end where things are collapsing, and he says, "You know, we're not really here. We're in the imagination of this boy who hasn't made a decision." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that was really cool. Um, and uh and he's just like a really talented actor so yeah yeah um whose name escapes me because that's what i do yeah so uh what are you thinking about uh are you up to date on doctor who and what are you thinking about the current the current run uh i am up to date um yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, we've seen we've Saturday. seen Time Heist. I think since the last time we talked, um, Time Heist w- w- is one episode, um, and then the most recent one was. Oh, the finally the the guy enters as the companion. Yes. So yes, I don't remember what the title of that episode is, but yeah, the um. The boyfriend, Danny Pink. It's what's what I find interesting is um, what we're like almost we must be six episodes into the season now. Um, yeah. 
is all the things that I said last season about not liking Clara, like now Clara is a person. Yeah. Yeah. Like they have made her a more complex character and they've told, you know, we see her actual life, which is something that even I feel like with, uh, uh, Rory and Amy, we never really saw a lot of their real life. It was always, you get a little glimpse of their real life and the doctor shows up. Right. So, right. Yes. And so that, that's been kind of fun. Um, and I think he is, uh, he's, he's getting a lot better. Like I don't, he rarely, there's rarely a time in the episode where I feel like he's like swallowing a line, but there mm-hmm. certainly is still a couple times where I'm like, I think what he said was really funny, but he just like breathe, breezed over it and kept going. Yeah. Yeah. He is definitely, or most of the time I feel like he's, he's certainly underplaying the humor or at least, um, like you said, it's going by very quickly. Um, yeah, and I can totally understand that if uh, you know he's they're going for a more serious thing and something much worse is about to happen that he would want to underplay it. So I can see that it's just uh, you know at times I'm like, oh, why did you swallow that? That was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I like um, I really like this uh, grouchy character finally i'm getting there where i kind of like that he's like oscar the grouch of the tardis you know like he <laughs> yeah. and, and the fact that like you know in the last episode spoilers like uh um a young girl like sees the tardis and she's like what's that and he's like oh, i can travel through space and time and you yeah know, he he's just, just tells like, everything yeah he just tells everything and then at the end of the episode he like takes her out in it and she's like i think i'm gonna be sick you know and he's just like whatever yeah. Just, yeah. I, I like this sort of like um, not so serious uh, sort of disconnected uh, grumpy guy thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. I like he he says that the sign says keep out. But in reality, it says go away humans. Yeah. And he's talking about how he can be, you know, oh, I can be deep cover. They'll never suspect me. And then, <laughs> you know, it, pretty much anybody that meets him pr- realizes that something is something is very amiss with this person uh at a, at a minimum and then yeah the the girl of course knows he's an alien within 30 seconds whether or not she's taking it seriously but then when he opens up the TARDIS it's it's pretty obvious <laughs> that he's he is he's from another place yeah there's a good line there and I don't remember what it was but it like <laughs> after he's introduced to the school staff and like she's like I don't know if Clara says something like you know, she makes like some sort of comment and he was like, yeah, perfect uh, about him being undercover, which he's like undercover as a janitor in a school. And so whatever her comment was, was sort of derogatory towards janitors, but totally fits most of the time, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And so he was like, yeah, right. I did it perfectly. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Ouch, but true. Yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, so I think I was more in a panic, so I guess I must be enjoying myself that it was, like, probably the sixth episode now. So we must be getting close to, like, oh, time for a mid-season. We'll see you in next October. Yeah, I um, I thought I read something about for this season. They are actually just going to steamroll right on through, um, the, through to the Christmas special. And that's oh, going to be wow. the entire season, and then they're going to do an actual regular like season break instead of a a broken season. <laughs> wow, that'd be cool. Yeah, so I think we're going to have additional episodes um, yet through. Um, I think it's going to be like through early December, and then there will be a very short break, and then there will be a Christmas special, and then. It'll we'll be waiting until the the next season, whenever that's going to be. And the character I just described is going to be like the most glorious like Christmas special ever. Then <laughs> grumpy, <laughs> he's going to be awesome for the Christmas. Special. He is going to be awesome for the Christmas <laughs> special. Yeah. So uh, since we're talking TV and um, people might be listening, uh, <laughs> have you? Um, 
got a gander on this show called um, Forever. Forever? No, I haven't. I, I think it must be on ABC. Um, and I managed to read a review on it, and I it was like, um, which I should get to that too, but it's a combination of uh, Sherlock and the Highlander. <laughs> oh, interesting. That's what the review said, and I said, okay, I will watch this. And uh, basically, it's about a medical examiner who cannot die. And so he lives in New York City and he's lived for like 200 years. And um, the reason why he's a medical examiner is because he's sort of sick of living for 200 years. So he's just really a student of death trying to figure out uh, why he can't die. And so that's sort of the premise of the show. And the reason they call it um, A Cross with Sherlock is because since he's so old, quote unquote, um, he must be terribly brilliant. Um, and so he can just rattle off things like Sherlock. So he's just like, oh, you know, you've got some chocolate on your lip and I can smell it and it's Russian chocolate. You must be Russian and da da da, you know. And mm. so he just rattles off these things that makes him socially awkward, like Sherlock and. Um, they usually tend to be right and they're just like observational things. And um, it's, we, I watched the pilot with my wife and uh, it, it's, it's watchable, I think. Um, the underlying plot is not really a spoiler if you watch it, but um, apparently there's like someone who knows he can live um, forever and that person is. Um, is sort of like playing a game with him. Um, and apparently like we find out in the first episode that that person also can live forever. And so they're like, why make it boring? So Mm. apparently they're having fun, like killing people around this guy or trying to kill this guy in unique ways and things like that. And, um, I'd say after the first episode, Actually, I've seen the second episode um, as well. But um, after seeing the first two episodes, it's one of those sort of like um, reoccurring plot things that Chris sometimes has issues with. (laughs) And so, I mean, I think it's good, but I think the show itself could stand on its own because you have this sort of like old 80s style show where – you know, like, oh, the episode begins and they give uh, Kit, the Knight Rider car, like this ability to drive on water. And it's like, oh, oops, we get to use that this episode. Hey, and then we never use it again. <laughs> um, but it's that same sort of like 80s, like we have a power, we're going to use it once per show thing. And so it's like this guy, you know, you can put him up at gunpoint in a bank robbery and he can like run and attack you and get shot and die because he lives forever. So um, so I think the concept works well enough on its own that this sort of underlying plot is, is not as strong for me um, after those two episodes. And I told my wife, like, I really feel like um, if, like, we can resolve this sort of new nemesis of his, like, within, like, the first eight episodes – and maybe what happens when this person like dies or disappears is we find out there's a larger society of people who can live forever and maybe that will be better. But I don't want, you know, four seasons of this guy like cat and mouse because that's going to be like overkill. Yeah, yeah. So if you're uh, with ABC and you're looking for a writer for the show, hi. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other show... Uh, not to keep going, but the other show that I watched just because um, I think io9.com said it was the most ridiculous hack scene you've ever seen in your life <laughs> was Scorpion. And again, the character, the main character in that show is in totally Sherlock. So <laughs> it's like people like saw that everyone loves Sherlock, which again, speaking to our last guest, David's point. Um, Sherlock and what you just mentioned is there's not a lot of episodes like it's yeah quality yeah. over quantity and maybe that's why we're all talking about it and 
when do we get to see Sherlock next? Probably not until next December. And so we're all like waiting with bated breath for it. And so it's kind of the less is more thing. And <laughs> so yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I agree. So, I was, I was, uh, uh, so I've been listening to this podcast called Random Trek, uh, which I think I've mentioned before on the show, but effectively the, the, um, the idea or the concept of the podcast is, uh, this guy, Scott McNulty, he goes to a random number generator and he uses the random number generator to tell him which episode of Star Trek he and a guest are going to watch. Um, and every series as well as the movies are on the table. Um, so he of course is always getting like Voyager episodes and Enterprise episodes instead of, uh, Next Generation and, uh, and Deep Space Nine episodes. But, uh, it's, it's a funny one. And, uh, the one that they had just recently watched a original series episode. Um, and it was the return of the character, Harry Mudd, which I don't know how much of the original series you've watched or if you recognize that name. Um, but he's, he's a character that just, uh, sort of, they, the phrase that they kept using was he chews the scenery because he's, he's constantly like overacting for the, for the theme of what's going on, which is pretty, honestly, pretty classic. Sixties, uh, anyway. Sixties, <laughs> yeah. sixties television acting. You know, he's he's being he's being a stage play actor in front of a camera, and it just looks ridiculous. But uh, um, what strikes me about that is that I'm looking at those seasons of Star Trek, and a season of the original series Star Trek would be like twenty two to twenty six episodes, which. I think even now most most shows, uh, especially hour long shows, tend to be more like in the fifteen to sixteen is a lot of episodes for a show, uh, and a lot of them are trending towards twelve. And even in those twelve, a lot of times they're not. There's there's a couple of kind of one offs, one off bad eggs that you that are not that great even to the fans of the show. So it, it was amazing to me how much they were cranking out given the smaller budgets, you know, smaller audiences. Star Trek at the time actually had a pretty big audience, but they didn't really have a great way of measuring what that audience was. And so they thought it was smaller and didn't give it a real big budget. Um, and yet they're cranking out just tons of content, which when you put it up against other shows in the sixties is pretty high quality content really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, all the colors and the sets and things that they did for that show. Like yeah. it was a lot of content. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a, that's a lot to produce. I mean, it's, it's one year. Really, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how they broadcast, but I'm, I, I think it was like, you know, probably thirteen weeks of continuous episodes, a, a short break at some point, and thirteen more weeks of continuous episodes, um, which is, you know, half of a year. It's a one-hour show. They're creating costumes uh, and crazy, you know, crazy get-ups and stuff for these aliens, like giant lizard aliens and things like that, and. I just look at it and I'm like, well, I can't blame you that you keep uh, showing up at this set that has the same 10 rocks and the thing that you're changing is the color of the sky because you're producing how many episodes and in how much time. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to me that they got that much done and still maintained the quality. Um, and they were shooting it on film. I mean, they they do these new high-definition remasters of the show because they still had film negatives that they could scan in uh, 30, 40 years later uh, and get high-definition out of them. The, the new, um, the new re- remastered series just looks beautiful on, uh, on Netflix. Again, assuming that you're okay with watching a show that's, you know, written and paced in the 60s. Um, it looks fantastic. So, yeah, I was actually going to mention, uh, as you had just, um, 
as you were just saying about the HD, uh, there is a link that I saw earlier this week, uh, maybe maybe last week, um, on uh, on Cupcake that uh, someone had posted. Uh, I think it was uh, Jonathan. He had posted um, this artist's uh, page, um, and he basically decided, like, as an art project, to do um, Star Trek in the cinema. Cinerama. So he <laughs> made them widescreen, but he just did screen caps. Um, so basically he um, devised a way to, uh, you know, when the camera pans across the bridge, he devised a way to take some screen captures and stitch them together so that you have like an actual like mm. widescreen shot of the set. And um, they're just like beautiful. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's like, it's so awesome. I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That someone took the time to do that. And then they, they're just gorgeous looking. I mean, there's so many like fun colors in those episodes. Yeah. Um, uh, the only other thing I was going to mention, um, <laughs> I don't think that I've mentioned it, but uh uh, I am really loving um, uh, what is it? Cartoon Network's um, Black Jesus. Oh, really? That show is it's very well done. Um, and I I stepped away from Cartoon Network after um, being a big fan. A because I don't have cable, but B I sort of got when they got into like live action. It was like cartoon uh network sort of or adult swim they sort of took the uh the low road they didn't do reality shows but they just did the sort of like the beastie boys when they do like a music video and dress in bad like hair and makeup it's funny because they only do it every once in a while and when you make like an entire like three season series like that it gets old really fast you know bad props and yeah, bad costumes yeah. and um, Black Jesus isn't produced in that way. I, I believe it's produced by the same folks that did the boondocks. Um, and it just, I love like the, the juxtaposition. I mean, and it's kind of like what David was talking about uh, in the earlier show is um, it's just something different. So you have black Jesus who's dressed exactly like Jesus would dress. And then um, he is, talking in ebonics or like a gangbanger <laughs> but then he's still like um preaching like general like do unto others kind of things like the show doesn't get overly christian but each show has a lesson and it's not like it's not like completely ridiculous or like a show without a lesson so then we have to have one at the end like a gi joe cartoon <laughs> like <laughs> Like it's, it's very good, you know, like, uh, and I just, I love it. And I've watched like a couple episodes in a row and then I was like, um, my inner monologue was then talking like black Jesus. And I was like, this isn't good because usually my inner monologue will then translate to me talking out loud and I might not be <laughs> like, might be bad to like be talking to my father-in-law and being like yo dog what are you saying to me what are you saying to me right now <laughs> um but yeah i highly recommend it it's uh it's just it's ridiculous and um and just well done like i said i i really the lessons that they present are maybe they are a little bit in your face but it's still funny it's a very funny show so yeah Definitely check that out if you get a chance. I will. And they have such a solid uh, bunch of actors too. And, and like I said, you know, I'm I'm not particularly religious, but um, it, it it seems to me like unless you're like really already um, a fanatic of some kind, <laughs> um, then you won't even be offended. Like. You know, I, I really think that they do like a really good job and they're I don't really think that they're um may necessarily like trying to ride like a fine line to not offend people. I think they're 
very much in like the sort of South Park, like we're just going to say it like it is. But in being that authentic and open, it isn't offensive. So, but like I said, I'm not religious. So maybe that's just my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) But it's just, it's great like that, you know, his whole demeanor is to, you know, like he he wants to like grow marijuana and get high (laughs) (laughs) and he's black Jesus. But then like he realizes that like, you know, that goal was like not what his dad wanted, God. And so <laughs> so he was being greedy and so he was taught a lesson and that's why the plants died. And and so he's like, You just we just have to be happy with my dad's love, y'all. And and it's just like it, it's just so fun. So hmm. I recommend it highly apparently because I keep talking about it. <laughs> so yeah, I think um we should uh, wrap it up unless you have more fun to share. Well, I was going to ask, uh, or I was going to mention that I got a uh, Baikal server up and running. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it or not. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, I uh, I fired up a, uh, a virtual machine on uh, DigitalOcean, uh, which is a uh, hosting provider I've talked about before. It's like a $5 a month machine, and I wanted I thought- to... Hmm? Sorry, I thought you were using Linode. Are you trying out DigitalOcean? I'm trying out DigitalOcean. Uh, I'm still using uh, Linode or Linode. I don't. I'm not sure how you say that. Um, with uh, the streaming server, so the streaming server right now is is running off of that um, box. But uh, I wanted to give DigitalOcean a try as well, and I figured for five bucks a month, it was something that I could I could always reset up somewhere else if I didn't care for it but uh process was pretty quick um digital ocean like you sign up and uh and the pro and this is actually very similar to uh to linode uh where you can sign up and in about a minute and a half once basically they have your billing information um they'll have a uh a virtual machine server up and running that you can log into and start installing stuff on the command line so it took me about I would say 45 minutes or so um, to get Baikal up and running. And the vast majority of that was just me configuring the machine as opposed to the actual install of the, of the server software itself. Um, Cause you do need, once you have, um, once you have a machine, you do need like Apache and PHP installed and configured and ready to go so that you can then put, by Cal somewhere and and get it running so that was the majority of it really um and yeah it uh it's been working pretty well i've been using it for my main calendar on my phone not really for all my work stuff but just for like my personal stuff um because with ios 8 we're like we're shifting everything because Apple now has this like family sharing stuff where you can configure different different iCloud accounts on your different devices for your family and have them all still share purchases, which is uh, really nice and works really well. But I wanted to make sure that if we were going to have any trouble with that in terms of calendars, that we still had a shared calendar solution that would work. Um, so that was kind of my impetus for for putting that together in addition to our kind of running theme of I'd rather kind of own that data myself. Um, and so I figured that was a, that was a good, interesting solution. And so far it's been working really well. I've got calendars, um, and, uh, contacts actually syncing to it across, uh, my, uh, both of my computers, uh, and my iPhone and my iPad, and they're all working, as well, if not better, than uh, the iCloud calendars. So I've been uh, liking it so far. Yeah, I, I haven't done contacts, and I was just thinking about that the other day. So um, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to get on and play with that. The So I'm assuming you probably did, like, the command line um, install, right? Yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah, because... Um, from my perspective as like someone who doesn't, uh, do that kind of stuff as much, it was a much quicker setup because I went with a host and not a virtual machine, which 
yeah. has all those necessary things. And what's nice about Bicale is they had like another package for people like me. And so basically I uploaded the folder and I was good to go. Yeah, so. you FTP'd it up and then you just go through the setup process. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculously simple. But um, Yeah, and yeah. That, was, that was easily the easiest part of my of my experience too because really the command line part of that once you're to the point where you're actually ready to start working with Bicale itself the command line sure. part of it really is just downloading and unzipping it <laughs> yeah right and, and then running it so uh yeah That's the true. the 40 40 minutes of the 45 minute setup were me signing up for dry, for DigitalOcean getting the box running and then going into the box and actually installing Apache, installing MySQL, installing PHP, and configuring those things all how I wanted them set up, which um, there actually are tools to make that whole process faster if you're firing up servers left and right constantly. Um, and I'm actually starting to think that I might be that person who's firing up servers constantly. <laughs> but uh, up until this point, I really haven't been doing that that often, so I haven't streamlined that that part of the process but actually yeah you're right it is pretty simple from the command line i i recently um on the linux box was playing with a uh, bit torrent sync as i was telling you before and um uh one of the interesting things is typically when you grab things from linux to install it might not be um from one of the typical resources so then you have to like basically um add a line into your list of possible repositories so then you can actually grab what you're looking for and uh this particular um developer had um uh, a line of code that you could just copy and paste into um your terminal and like it would just add it to your repository and you were all set and i was like Oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> Cuz I've had to edit that thing so many times. Yeah. I was like, yeah. You rock. And then like of course, you know, a few days later is when everyone freaks out because of that new like bash bug. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe it's not supposed to be this easy. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's but, definitely one of those things where there are a lot of sites that are like, oh, yeah, just copy and paste this into your terminal. And I'm always looking at them like, man, if you don't know what you're doing and you copied and pasted that into your terminal, like if you had somebody who up until today was a trustworthy source and they just put like, you know, remove all all of your files command <laughs> in that. Right. And Ten people do that. That's, you know, you, you yeah. do need to. Exercise caution when running something on the terminal. The terminal is a very powerful is a very powerful program, and if you uh, if you put the commands you're putting into it in the wrong hands, uh, bad things can happen. So just be careful. <laughs> this has been the more you know with Paul. <laughs> the more you know. Uh, now there's the dmc copyright notice oh no yes um yeah bikel is highly recommended i've been using it for quite a while now and um like i said you totally reminded me that context is next for me um i recently uh, in pursuit of Taking back my data, I recently um, said goodbye to Google Apps for Business, which I've had for my blog, sickdays.com, mm. um, and moved that email back to being hosted by my host for now. Um, and then I tried out the new um, beta of MailPile in ArcOS, and uh, I, I made a mistake, and um, it is a beta, so there's... Uh, some things here and there like when you enter an account you can't then delete it and i grabbed my gmail account just to try hot to see how that would interact with MailPile, and then i can't get rid of it <laughs> <laughs> and so um and then someone else had did something similar to me i read um on MailPile site and basically once they had gotten rid of it um, and reinstalled MailPile in ArcOS, like it didn't ask them for any key information or anything because it already had it. 
So he's like, how can I wipe this out? And I was like, oh, I'm going to be in the same boat as you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I haven't uh, played with it. Um, Mailpile is unique because uh, I forget what they call themselves, but it's it's not necessarily an email server and it's not an email provider. It's basically it's a web interface for your email um, so that you don't have to have an application, I guess, which it sounds a little mm. bit weird, but yeah. in these days of like web apps, like we don't have a lot of applications to begin with. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so, but it's just a web client for your, for your, yeah. email, whatever email you use. Yeah. And so, and what the, I think the big thing about MailPile is that, um, it comes with, um, encryption right it's like easy to use with encryption oh so so even they say like on their website they say something like um even if um even if you use gmail um and even if you use gmail if you use MailPile and you've enabled encryption and you're obviously emailing back and forth with someone else who's using encryption then um Google is still going to be able to look at your emails, but all they're going to see is encryption. Right. Yep. (laughs) And I was like, oh, so that's what inspired me to try Google out on it, which was funny because, you know, I've been using Gmail for quite a long time. And so as soon as it uh, synced up, it's like, oh, yeah, this is I'm linking, you know, I'm syncing like email 35 of, you know, 60 billion. And I was like, <laughs> right. oh, no, I don't even think my Arc OS is big enough to hold all that email. Yeah, yeah. So that's where I panicked. But, um, but yeah, it's an interesting piece of software. And it's, it's basically it's like, a, you know, like a self-hosted mail client. Um, so that's, I guess, what kind of makes it different. Cool. And... Uh, Again, I I know I've asked this question before and we should wrap up, but I was trying to de- describe MailPile to my wife, which is fun. Um, and um, I had mentioned the encryption side of it. And uh, so I was getting confused and trying to describe it to her because it was late at night as well. But uh, so when you you can give your key out publicly, but then... What's that to prevent? Like if you put like your public key for email on com, so that you and I can then exchange encrypted mail, like what's to stop like my wife from grabbing that key and then reading our mail? Uh, so the public key, um, I'm going to make, I'm going to mix these up, but it, it effect, essentially what it is, is there's a key pair that gets generated. And so okay. you have a private key and you can post the public key. And all that does is it makes it so that uh, your wife could send you mail because she needs your public key in order to send you mail. And you need her public key in order to read mail from her. Right. Um, and then vice versa, for her to be able to read your mail, she needs your public key. Um, but you also need her public key in order to send her that mail. So it would be like kind of a needle in the haystack situation. Like they would need, she would need both my key and your key to then read our mail if she somehow intercepted it. And not, not only would she need our public keys, she would actually need our private keys in order to decrypt it. Right. Right. Okay. That's why I was telling her it's kind of like the chipped credit cards that we have here in Canada that you are soon to get. But um, the fact is, is when you do a transaction with the chip, it's not only the security of like you have to type in like a password before the transaction can happen. But the chip is actually issuing a code to the retailer saying here is um, the amount of money you need and this is your authorization code it never once gives the credit card number to the retailer right right so it just gives like a code that's associated with that number and then they can research those transactions that way but it, there's never like you know for years and years when i worked in retail it was like 
always kind of funny that like after so many months we would just throw away the journal register tape in the garbage and it's like okay like i realize like they've finally got smart and started like just posting like the last four digits of a credit card on those <laughs> right. journals right but it's just still funny that there's like all this information just in the garbage waiting to get picked up yep yep and that's how that's how the NFC work stuff is working as well. Is um, there's basically a negotiation that happens, and then there's a unique token that's generated from that for that transaction. And never at any point does your actual credit card number or even personal data um, get associated um, with that transaction. It's just you know here's a here's a unique token that the bank can use to authorize that and uh it's it's unique for each transaction which is interesting so um yeah it's uh public key cryptography is uh is interesting and there's always new um new algorithms that are coming out and as at the same time there's you know vulnerabilities being found in older algorithms um but generally you can protect yourself by um by generating a key that has a fairly high um bit length um which if effectively is the size of the key and the larger the key is the more time it's going to take for a computer to try to brute force hack it um and it has the these key lengths have the property of being effectively geometric so if you double if you double the size of the key it ends up taking like uh hundreds of times longer to actually decrypt it until you get to the point where like a key that may only be a kilobit in size can actually be, um, you know, the heat death of the universe will happen before <laughs> before a computer before a supercomputer is going to be able to crack that. So, um, and, and yet at the same time, computers are always getting faster, and so that's one piece that you factor in. And vulnerabilities in these algorithms are being found as well, so that people eventually kind of figure out faster ways of cracking them. And so there's always a you know, there's a cold war happening of we're going to create new algorithms. And at the same time, there are people who are trying to security, you know, security minded people who are trying to investigate the older algorithms that we're using, as well as obviously hackers who are trying to investigate those algorithms. And then you also have, um, you know, trust entity questions as well. So there's public key servers where I can go. Um, post my public key and other people can look me up by my name and my email address and download my public key. But do you trust the person in the middle who's deploying those keys to people that they're actually giving you my public key and not an arbitrary public key that they generated so that they could be a middleman, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's lots of um, interesting, complicated ways that they um, that that you have to interesting and complicated things that you have to think about when it comes to who do who do I trust? How am I distributing my keys? You know, do I already have a relationship with this person? Can I just give them my key directly via email? And like you said, Keybase. Is there a way to publicly um, post my key in a way that everybody can transparently see and trust that that really is my information. Okay. So put your developer hat on and write this down. So what we're going to do is once, um, once this whole encryption thing becomes like a reality for everyone's email is you and I are going to start a website called the glass bowl and it's going to be a dating site where people can exchange keys at random. Oh, nice. Like one of those parties in the seventies where you could exchange wives and husbands. <laughs> <laughs> Just put your keys in the bowl and pull put your out keys a pair. In the bowl. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Snipecrypt. Nice. Our website will be the sexy party on the internet. <laughs> the sexy encrypted party. <laughs> you got to give us your public key to get in. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, uh, I need to wrap this up so that my yeah. wife can use Netflix, apparently. <laughs> um, so uh, stay tuned. Next Thursday night, we should be back with the Film Frown podcast, and we will be talking to some folks about the movie Zardoz with Zardoz. Sean Connery. I am the last one. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, I have been Chris. You may find me um, with a telescope uh, from a building a block away for sure. Or you can try the easy route, which means less travel. And that is uh, S-I-K-K-D-A-Y-S on um, the Twitter or the internets. And uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say there. And I am uh, Paul. And you can find me at pauld.sexy online. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but you can also find me at pauld on Twitter. Uh, and uh, padizio.com, P-A-D-I-Z-I-O.com uh, is my uh, sort of landing page with links to several other things that I do and work on. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. I wonder, I was looking at uh, domains the other day and uh, .audio is totally awesome. But um, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, if you're a drug dealer, .pharmacy is available. Just mm-hmm. thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. I, I wonder if, um, I wonder if we can find um, mouse. I want to be like, Chris dot mouse because then because <laughs> then I could like when people say what's uh, how do I find you I'd be like it's Chris dot M O U S E nice that's a joke for the dot fifty mouse. and over <laughs> the Mickey Mouse Club those All who right. are fans of Justin Timberlake's early career. <laughs> Before he even got sexy and decided to even bring it back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Justin.sexy.mouse. <laughs> Whoa. Boom. That's- that's the audience we want to appeal to. That is totally. That's what David Sherry was suggesting. <laughs> we need an audience. We need the mouse audience. The dot mouses. All right. Dot, dot mice. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, peace out, y'all. Yeah, we will see. You, we will see you next week. <laughs>